0: Hello and welcome to Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking, the podcast about everything related to your work, your rights and responsibilities in the workplace, whether you are a minimum wage worker, a blue or white collar employee, or an executive. If you work for a living, this podcast is for you. It contains important information that your perspective, current, a former employer does not want you to know, including the basics of your rights and obligations in the workplace, as well as practical tips on how to level the playing field regarding issues that arise every day on the job. Each future episode will feature an expert on the workplace or a guest who may tell us about his or her Particular occupation. Today, as we record this in August 2020, we have a topic of growing importance to many families who are struggling through the coronavirus pandemic. That topic is unemployment compensation for employees who are laid off by their employer or otherwise lose their jobs. Unfortunately, the coronavirus has taken its toll on over 10% of the nation's workforce, according to the latest statistics and a similar amount of unemployment claims have been filed in Ohio and our neighboring states. So first, a little history and a brief explanation on how unemployment compensation is funded. Unemployment uh, benefits were introduced in Germany in 1927, and in the United States, it originated in Wisconsin in 1932 and in Ohio in 1936. The federal government encouraged the individual states to adopt unemployment insurance plans when it passed the social security act in ohio the unemployment compensation fund is funded by a tax that most people are not aware of all employers pay an unemployment tax on the first $9000 of employees wages the rate is usually in the 3 to 4% ballpark meaning that your employer probably pays approximately $350 uh, per year while you are employed to fund the the entire program. Now, Ohio reported nearly 26,000 initial unemployment claims in early August, and there were 404,000 continued unemployment claims. That means continued unemployment claims means people that have been collecting it for more than one week not the initial uh, applications that were filed of nearly $26,000. So we've got 404,000 people roughly collecting unemployment compensation today. Overall, nearly 1.6 million Ohioans have filed for unemployment benefits over the past five months as the coronavirus pandemic led state officials to close businesses and take other steps to restrict state residents' daily lives. That total of 1.6 million unemployment recipients is more than the previous four years combined, according to state officials. Unemployment compensation has also become a hot political issue in our country as the federal government began to supplement state unemployment compensation with an additional $600 per week because of the staggering number of unemployment claims throughout the country. The extra compensation from the federal government was intended to help unemployed workers avoid evictions, be able to pay other bills, and just generally stay afloat because the pandemic has cost so many jobs and far fewer employers are hiring or rehiring employees. Now, politicians are debating whether the added compensation from the federal government actually discourages workers from returning to work. And so, with the now hot political issue, we thought it was appropriate to uh, include in one of our episodes and devote it exclusively to the issue of unemployment compensation. And who better to join us today than Kara Daggett, a lawyer who regularly assists newly unemployed individuals and helps them to navigate through a process that is often new to these workers. Kara Welcome to Freaking Out About Work.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Well, Kara, you've got an outstanding uh resume. She <laughs> graduated summa cum laude from the University of Cincinnati with her Bachelor of Science in Psychology, and she had a research focus in neuropsychology. Sounds like pretty deep stuff. <laughs> now, uh Kara, I understand you decided to attend law school when you learned about the Ohio Innocence Project, which is a great local project. Mm -hmm. And you were pre-admitted to the program when you enrolled at the UC College of Law. So in addition to being an OIP student fellow, Kara was also a research assistant through her time in law school, during which she drafted academic materials on constitutional law and education law. Kara joined Freaking Myers and during her last year of law school and remained with our team as an associate attorney when she graduated. Kara represents current and former employees in matters involving race, gender, and age discrimination, medical leave and disability retaliation, workplace harassment, and most importantly for today, unemployment compensation. So Kara, let's walk Uh, listeners through this topic. Yes. So let's start with some very basics. When should somebody apply for unemployment other than obviously when they lose their job, but what is the timing of when you should apply for unemployment?
1: So yeah, like you said, you should apply for unemployment benefits as soon as you become unemployed. Uh, Your claim will become effective the Sunday after your application is filed. Uh, Your first payment will begin processing after you first receive your eligibility determination and you file your first weekly claim. I suggest that you apply online. I don't really know anybody who applies over, you know, snail mail, Um, but applying online will (laughs) help expedite the process. Um, And if you're eligible, you will receive payments retroactive to the date you became eligible.
0: Right. We used to see some of those iconic photos of people in the Great Depression. They were standing in line Yes, for unemployment benefits. Today, you stand online, I suppose.
1: Yes, exactly. And there's
0: been a staggering number of claims. <laughs> so there's some delays in the process. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Unfortunately, there have been some delays in the process. Just because, I mean, ODJFS is so inundated now with unemployment claims because the number of people who are becoming unemployed is rising drastically in Ohio, as you explained at the beginning.
0: So if you get laid off, let's just pick a date, you get laid off on August 1st, you can't just sit around and wait and file your claim in September and then expect to get unemployment benefits, you know, backdated.
1: Correct. Correct. Yeah. You, you have to Apply when you become eligible. And if you don't do that, absolutely, there's no expectation that ODJFS will retroactively pay you for the time that you just kind of sat on your hands.
0: So there's no reason at all to delay. No. Even if you're optimistic about a job prospect, right? Right.
1: Yeah, it's better safe than sorry for sure, just to go ahead and apply. And it's relatively easy you know, because you can do it online and not in line. Okay.
0: Yeah. So how does somebody actually do it? What's the logistics of of applying for unemployment benefits?
1: So you can do it on Ohio's unemployment website, which is unemployment.ohio.gov. The application is pretty self-explanatory. I mean, you just fill in the information they request. But if you need extra help, they have a really great step-by-step guide on there. Um, and before you apply, just make sure you have your social security number ready, your driver's license or state ID number ready, um, and if you're not a U.S. citizen, uh, make sure you have your alien registration number. Which, just as a side note, I hate that term, alien registration number, <laughs> <Right>. but <laughs> that's, that's a terrible term. But um, and if you're claiming dependents, you'll need their social security numbers as well as your spouse's.
0: Okay. And so once you apply, uh, what are the eligibility requirements to actually receive the benefits?
1: So under Ohio's program, you are eligible to apply for unemployment if you have uh, completed at least 20 weeks of employment with an employer um, who have contributed to the unemployment insurance during the quote-unquote base period period. And you have earned an average weekly of at least $269 in 2020. And this number changes year to year. Okay. Um, and unemployment benefits are calculated according to a base period. For most people, that regular base period is the first four of the last five calendar quarters that they worked. Um, and lastly, You are eligible for unemployment if you have become unemployed uh, through no fault of your own. So, this would include layoffs, job restructurings, business closings, um, and in certain circumstances, if you quit. And uh, this through no fault of your own requirement, Mm -hmm. that's usually what the issue is when people are appealing a denial of unemployment benefits. That's kind of the battleground is whether they became unemployed through their own fault. Because if it's a base period issue, I mean, that's pretty black and white, but it becomes very gray when you're arguing whether it is your fault that you are unemployed.
0: Okay. So it is very important. People can't just get a job, get laid off, and then apply for unemployment compensation benefits. They have to be employed at least 20 weeks at the employer from which they were laid off from yes. or fired from.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Okay. So, you know, a lot of people wonder, how much do you get in unemployment benefits? Do you just get uh, a lot of money?
1: Well, it depends on what you're making while you're employed. So the amount of weekly benefits is going to be roughly two-thirds of your weekly pay, but there is a cap. So it's hmm. kind of, I I don't know what the formula is that they use. It's a very complicated formula, but um, it's based on your dependents. And for most people, the cap is right around $500 per week.
0: Okay. So, but if you're making, let's say, $300 a week, the amount's probably going to be in the $200
1: range. Correct. Roughly
0: yes. two-thirds. Yes. If you're, and that's most, a lot of people that are applying for unemployment benefits are low-wage workers because right. that's the group that's really been most severely impacted Absolutely. by the virus, it seems.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: So what do you mean? That's the battleground um, is the through no fault of your own getting uh, getting let go. What, what what does that mean?
1: So it means that when you are applying for unemployment benefits, like I said, you have to show that it's not your fault that you were unemployed. Um, and so the terminology that ODJFS uses is that you have to show that you were terminated without what's called just cause. So, for example, it's kind of a black and white issue. If you were, you know, laid off during a restructuring, obviously that's not your fault. But there are a lot of times when if you are fired, it becomes tricky because Ohio is an at-will employment state. So you can get fired for any reason that isn't illegal. So obviously you can't get fired Uh, because you're pregnant. That's illegal. Mm -hmm. But your employer can fire you because, I don't know, you ate a tuna sandwich and you stank up the kitchen. That's legal. They can do that.
0: Theoretically legal.
1: Theoretically legal, yes. But that does not constitute just cause. ODJFS isn't going to look at that situation and say, oh, well, I mean, yeah, it is, you know, they ate a tuna sandwich. They should have known better. No, that's not just cause. So, um, the just cause is what i meant when i said that's the battleground you have to show odjfs that it wasn't your fault that you were terminated and that's a very fact specific uh issue
0: so somebody who gets laid off you know general electric just had a lot of layoffs yes. christ hospitals had some layoffs
1: mm-hmm.
0: a lot of companies have had layoffs those folks receive unemployment compensation without dispute
1: correct okay. yes
0: So, uh, well, just cause, that doesn't sound very black and white to me. That seems pretty gray. Yes. So how does the uh, ODJFS, first of all, what does ODJFS stand for?
1: The Ohio Department of Jobs and Family Services. Okay. Yes. That's the bureau that you apply to when you uh, want your unemployment compensation.
0: Yeah, I usually tell people when they're asking about unemployment compensation, you know, how to file for it. Just kind of Google Unemployment Compensation Ohio and the ODJFS (laughs) website is going to show up. Yes. Okay. So what does uh, just cause mean in the unemployment compensation context?
1: So it requires just cause um, means that the conduct would lead a person of Ordinary intelligence, and that's that's a term used in the case law. Uh, hopefully,
0: hopefully uh, most employers have ordinary intelligence. You would hope.
1: You would definitely not hope. Not always, no. Um, it, so it would lead someone of ordinary intelligence to conclude that the circumstances justified the employee's discharge. So mm-hmm. I think that someone of ordinary intelligence would not agree that firing someone for eating a tuna sandwich... Right was for just cause. That would be kind of a silly
0: reason to fire somebody.
1: Exactly.
0: And usually when they fire somebody for a silly reason like that, it's because they're trying to cover up something else, but that's a topic for another day.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think we've had a few of those
0: topics on here. (laughs) So what if you break some policy that's kind of vague or just kind of stupid and then you're terminated for it?
1: So A lot of it depends on whether the and again, this is another term used by ODJFS, you know, by it's used by the case law, whether an employee demonstrated a quote unquote unreasonable disregard for the employer's best interests. So, for example, if somebody broke a policy um, that isn't actually enforced all that often. It's just kind of written in there as boilerplate language in their employment, you know, manual or policy manual. Mm -hmm. That's usually... not an unreasonable disregard for your employer's best interests. But right. If
0: everybody else is getting away with it, yes. You should be able to get away with it.
1: Exactly. Um, but if you do something, I mean, this would be a black and white situation. For example, if you stole from your employer.
0: That sounds like just cause to me.
1: Yes. That's an unreasonable disregard for your employer. Sexual employers. harassment,
0: mm-hmm. insubordination. Yep. Things like that. You should do what your employer tells you to do. Yes. And if you disregard what your employer tells you what to do, you you probably should be fired.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Who decides whether you get it or not? Is it the employer or is it the state?
1: It is the state. Um, You and the employer, you both submit evidence and you both submit your statement of what happened. But ultimately, it's the state bureau that decides whether you should receive your unemployment compensation.
0: And what you submit is just answering the questions on the application. Yes. Is that correct?
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um unless you have, you know, some evidence you want to submit, you can submit that as well. But for the most part it's pretty straightforward. You just answer the questions that they ask you on the form.
0: Right. I guess so if an if an employee is kind of worried that their employer may challenge it, mm-hmm. can they provide like extra information when they apply for unemployment compensation?
1: Yes. Yeah. You can When you apply, um, you know, they have boxes where they ask you what happened, and Mm -hmm. that's your opportunity to tell your side of the story. Um, And, you know, as long as you're answering the question that's being asked in those boxes and you're not dancing around the issue, you're answering it directly, I think, yeah, anybody should use it as an opportunity to tell their side of what happened.
0: Okay. Do you have any recent examples of battles you've had where you've actually represented somebody and for one reason or another, either the employer opposed it or the state decided against them mm-hmm. initially, and you actually had to represent them in a hearing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've had a quite a few of those recently. I mean, now our firm is having a lot of people come in asking for help because a lot of so people, people are, are getting-
0: getting laid off and absolutely. fired. Absolutely. Yeah. Et cetera. So, okay. Give us an example.
1: So, kind of going back to our- Unreasonable disregard um, discussion. Um, when we were talking about whether an employer has a rule that's kind of vague or kind of stupid or not really enforced against mm-hmm. anybody, I represented a young woman. She was she worked as you know kind of in an administrative clerical position, and one day she took. A long lunch I think it was about two hours she was hourly
0: sounds like a long lunch
1: that yes yeah um and she didn't clock out for it um and so she hmm. um was terminated for it because one of her co-workers noticed and reported her um I think there was kind of some issues going on behind the scenes there um and when she applied for unemployment her application was denied because they said Uh, You were terminated for just cause. You took this two-hour lunch. You didn't clock out. That's time clock fraud. I mean, you acted against your employer's best interests. So when we appealed, our main argument was, yes, yes. She did take a really long lunch and no, you know, she she didn't clock out. Yeah, what
0: was her reason for taking a long lunch? Did she have something to do like run an errand or she, something?
1: Yeah, she, um, I forget what she was doing. I think she might have had like a nail appointment or something like that. <laughs> so it wasn't really, you know, uh, a great thing to have to explain to the hearing officer. But what helped us was that this office had actually a very lax policy about clocking out. It was not uncommon for people to take long lunches. Um, And it also helped that this was the first time something like this has ever happened with her. She was usually a very diligent, responsible employee. She had worked there for a couple of years. She never had any other issues with the time clock. Um, And like I said, it was not uncommon for people to take long lunches to not clock out for them. Um, So, The employer technically had a policy with their time clockings, Mm -hmm. but they didn't really enforce it all that often. So we used that um, during our appeal and said, again, she's never had any issues before. um, And the policy isn't enforced all that often. So we we were successful in that appeal.
0: Right. I would think that that would be important, the tenure of the employee. Yes. And whether they've had what we call progressive discipline, prior mm-hmm. warnings. Obviously, if she had been warned several times for that, she yeah. would have lost that case, even though it was uh, lax enforcement of the rules.
1: Absolutely. Had
0: she gotten an oral warning, a written warning, something like that beforehand. Yes. And then did it again.
1: Yes. Right.
0: She would have been dead.
1: Yes. Right. Oh, yeah, we would have had no shot if that were the case. But these, you know, these issues, they're so fact specific. And mm-hmm. I found that so often things can look really bad on paper. right.
0: You know, that sounded bad to me when you said she took a two hour <laughs> yes. lunch break to go get a nail appointment. That yes. doesn't sound like something you should do.
1: No, not at all. Um, and of course, you know, it it was against the policy. and it was, I think, you know, maybe she shouldn't have done it. But it didn't rise to that level of being just cause for her termination because of all the other circumstances that surrounded it, including her good performance record and yeah. her lack of discipline. So the employer
0: had a right to fire her. Yes. For that, but they mm-hmm. just didn't have a right to deny her unemployment compensation.
1: Yes, and that can be really confusing because, you know, it—the fact that an employer can fire you for any reason or. You know, in this case it did seem justified that they were that they would fire her for that.
0: Just on the surface.
1: Just on the surface. Yes, but that doesn't necessarily rise to that just cause standard that ODJFS uses.
0: Okay. How about another example? Do you have any other examples of people that have had to go through this process and were successful?
1: Yeah. Um I just had a really recent one. Um I represented a man who is on the autism spectrum, um, and he was a very new employee at the place that he worked at. I mean, he had been there maybe for a couple of months, and he was having some issues getting acclimated. Mm-hmm. You know, he was having some issues with the tasks he was assigned. Right. Um, and so he was called into his HR manager's office and given a performance improvement plan, and during this meeting, it was the HR manager and a few other, like, managers and an executive there. And so, so that's pretty
0: stressful for the employee. Yes. Well, particularly somebody on the autism spectrum.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, and so when he got out of that meeting, it, I think it took place in the morning, he packed his stuff up at his desk um, and he let his supervisor know that he was leaving for the day and that he just needed some time to go home, decompress, try to kind of collect himself because that was just so stressful for him.
0: He needed like an unpaid leave of absence for the rest of the day. basically. Yes.
1: yes and he told
0: his supervisor.
1: He told his supervisor. Yeah. Okay.
0: What did, the, what did the supervisor say? Nah, baby, nah, you can't leave?
1: No. So, and that was the linchpin of our victory. The supervisor said, well, okay, I think so-and-so might be coming to talk to you later, but all right. And so it was, I guess, needless to say, he went home. He was, people tried to contact him. HR tried to contact him. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the other managers tried to contact him, but he had turned his phone off. Um, So he didn't answer anybody for the rest of the day. And of course, when he turned his phone back on the next day, he had an email in his inbox saying, you're fired. You're done.
0: They Um, fired him by email?
1: They did. Yeah.
0: That's not good.
1: Mm -mm. No.
0: I think good rule of thumb for employers is not to fire people by emails or (laughs) texts. Have the guts to call them
1: at least. Absolutely. And then follow up with an email, maybe, you know, but yeah, just- He
0: literally woke up the next morning and he had an email in his inbox saying he was fired.
1: Yes. Yeah. And so- he applied for unemployment benefits. He was denied um, because the employer submitted their side of the story saying, look, he was having performance issues. We tried to work with him. He left for the day. He didn't answer anybody's calls. He, you know, you're know, you not allowed to do that. He was an hourly employee. Um,
0: they left out the part about the supervisor saying basically it was okay to go home.
1: Exactly. So hmm. that was basically all we argued during his hearing was, He actually abided by the policy because the policy states if you need time off or if, you know, for whatever reason, you tell your supervisor. So he uh, when we argued that, of course, I wanted to make other arguments about the fact that he was on the spectrum and they were so quick to let him go. But the hearing officers usually don't want to hear any of that sort of legal claims. Right. Um, but yeah, the fact that he informed his supervisor really saved him um, and we were successful and he is now receiving his unemployment benefits.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So those are people you, so if you get fired, you can still have a chance to get unemployment compensation. You shouldn't give up just because you've been fired.
1: Absolutely. And like I was saying before, you know, these situations can look so bad on paper, mm-hmm. but what I found is that, most people are good employees. They're hardworking people. They're mm-hmm. reasonable people, and so a lot of times, what is said on paper is not the whole story. And once you dig into it, and once you see their side and their reasoning, it makes the situation make more sense to the to the hearing officer um, because the context is so important. Um, you know it. Most people aren't going to flagrantly just disregard their employer's policies. Right. I mean, obviously, there are exceptions, but for the most part, people are reasonable and want to do a good job and want to abide by the rules, and things just happen. And I, I think that it's so important to advocate for yourself and to say, look, you know, I know this looks bad, but let me explain to you what happened. Um, and you'd be surprised that you know you a lot of people are very successful on these appeals when they just are honest and tell their story and give the hearing officer all of the details of what happened.
0: So those are people who got fired and you mentioned earlier that sometimes you can even quit your job and still get unemployment benefits. That's the exception I think. Most yes. people that quit cannot right. but what under what circumstances can people actually quit their job and still, Uh, file an application for unemployment benefits.
1: So we're still with that same just cause, ordinary person with ordinary intelligence standard. Um, And I just had a really interesting case recently where I represented a woman who was a probation officer Mm -hmm. for a few years. And she quit her job. And of course, her application for unemployment benefits was denied.
0: Yes, yes.
1: So we had to argue during our appeal that she quit for just cause, that anybody...
0: Sort of the flip side. Normally, it's the employer who has to prove just cause when they fire you. Yes. Right? Yeah. And here, the employee had to say she had just cause to
1: quit. Yes.
0: Okay. That's kind of interesting.
1: Right. And again, it's so fact-specific for each case. And I... Honestly, I think this one was pretty clear cut. I'm kind of surprised that her benefits were denied in the first place. Mm -hmm. But what had happened was she was a probation officer and every week their clients would come in and do drug tests to make sure that they were abiding by the terms of their probation. Mm -hmm. And the employer had a policy where if somebody was giving you a urine sample it had to be a male probation officer overseeing a male client and a female okay. with a female but all the probation officers had male and female clients so for example my client she was a female she when her male clients would come in to give the specimen for the drug tests mm-hmm. she would have to ask her male coworker to oversee it and in this case the male coworker who she asked to oversee her male clients, mm-hmm. um, he would repeatedly mess up the paperwork and falsify the results of the drug tests. And these were documents that were being... Now, seen- why would
0: he do that? That. We just said 99% of employees or so, or so are really good <laughs> yes. people. And here we got a guy intentionally messing up the paperwork.
1: She doesn't know. That's something that I, I asked her that as well. I was like, do you, I mean, were you guys having issues? Do you know what his deal was? And she said, no. I mean, he was just kind of a troublemaker. He wasn't
0: like an ex-boyfriend or anything like that, no. just trying to cost her her job?
1: No, no. And he,
0: was, he, was he falsifying and making it look like the people... Failed their urine test or passed?
1: He would both. He would mark, for example, if it was positive, negative, you know, or he would mark the wrong substance that it tested positive for. And, you know, like I said, these documents were going to the court. So and it and they only had my client's name on them. So it would be coming from her going to the court with false information on it. But the false
0: information was coming from her partner in the department. Yes. Hmm.
1: If that, yeah, it's kind of a tangled web. Right. (laughs) But yeah, so he would fill out her paperwork for her because when he was overseeing her male clients, and she found out that a lot of the information he was putting on there was wrong. She tried to talk to her supervisors about it. She, you know, said, hey, this is really serious. I could face criminal charges for this. I mean, you know, I'm submitting false information to a court. We need to do something about this.
0: And they didn't do anything about it, apparently, because she quit?
1: She quit. They gave him a stern talking to. That's a stern talking talking to is what they did, which was not helpful at all. Um, Right.
0: He seems like he falls in the category of being fired for just cause if he's falsifying reports, but he's a friend of the supervisor or something. For some reason, he keeps his job.
1: Right. He's still there as Hmm. far as I know. Yeah. So I think that. Her case is a clear-cut case of having just cause to quit because if she had stayed, I mean, she was facing potential criminal liability mm-hmm. for what her coworker was doing, and she was getting no support at all from management. So I that was that was a very recent case where I had somebody who quit, but it seemed clear to both of us that she was still entitled to unemployment benefits because she had just cause.
0: Right. Most people wouldn't quit their job unless they have another job lined up. Right, you would think, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. So let's go to another topic. We're recording this in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. What about the issue of people that want to quit their jobs because they have concerns about COVID and whether they might get infected in the workplace?
1: Well, it depends, which is everybody's least favorite answer to hear. Um, just like determining just cause, it it's very fact-specific with the COVID issues. Mm -hmm. um, You know, it might be clear cut if your employer is just flouting the state's requirements. So, for example, if you are working within six feet of people and they're not enforcing masks, um, if they're letting people come into work sick, um, things like that, things that most employers wouldn't do, um, that might be clear cut for you having just cause to quit because that's unreasonable what the employers are doing. Um, right, but you still
0: have to prove it somehow, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you
0: better have some evidence right of people disregarding the alleged safety protocols, right?
1: Right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And if it's not really clear-cut like that, if you know, if you work in an office setting um and let's say you're working in cubicles and People wear their masks, but sometimes, you know, they put them below their nose or whatever. It's just, you know, it's not clear cut that it's a f- flagrant violation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I suggest w- creating kind of a paper trail of you communicating with your supervisor saying, hey, look, I'm not comfortable because of X, Y, and Z.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Can I work remotely? Can I work off hours? Can we accommodate me in some way so that I can perform my duties while still staying, staying safe? Right. And I think that if, you know, in the end, they won't accommodate any of your needs if they aren't, you know, um, kind of working with you to create an environment where you feel safe and you have a paper trail of that, that's going to help you during your unemployment process. It always looks good when the employee is going to their managers and trying to work with them and trying to figure something out so that they can keep performing their duties. Um, So
0: that's a great idea because, you know, the employer always creates a little paper trail, you know, they give you written warnings and such. (laughs) And so I always like it when the employee kind of turns it on the employer and they have their own paper trail.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Okay. What about other things uh, related to COVID?
1: So, The ODJFS, I just found this on their website. This wasn't there, I mean, even a month ago. They just released new guidance that states if a medical provider has asked you to stay home because of COVID, um, you can still collect unemployment benefits. and. That doesn't mean you had to have tested positive for COVID. That doesn't mean you had to have been tested at all. If, it's just if a medical provider says, look, maybe you're at high risk for complications. You can't be around people, mm-hmm. something like that. If you have proof from a medical provider that you can't be around people, you can't be in an office setting, um, you can still collect unemployment benefits. Yeah,
0: you know, like I had a client who has COPD. Yeah. And she could not wear a mask. And wow. so her doctor had to say to a large retailer in the area, hey, either let her work without a mask mm-hmm. or let her go home and get unemployment compensation. Now, they're battling that, of course. They right. still think she should wear a mask, even though the doctors said she shouldn't.
1: Wow. But, um,
0: okay, anyway, we digress, yeah, as we sometimes do on this program.
1: <laughs> that's really interesting, though. I, I mean, I know some people don't want to wear masks because of, you know, maybe... Philosophical or political yeah, reasons, no, but you, I didn't know you can know there have was a medical conditions.
0: Reason. Yeah, uh, if you have right. COPD, you have to examine whether or not you should wear that
1: mask or not. Oh, that's interesting. Wow, um, and I think maybe in June, Governor Dewine signed an executive order that laid out different reasons why people. Um, can refuse to go back to work and still collect unemployment. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first reason was the same thing that we just covered. A medical doctor says that you need to stay home. Um, another um, reason is that you're 65 years or older. So that's, mm. you can submit I'm getting to close. <laughs>
0: Maybe I can get unemployment.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, you should try okay. it and then let well, us know I'm what happens.
0: Well, i not quite there yet, Kara. <laughs> getting there.
1: Um, so, and then let's see. And I think we covered this too. If your employer is committing health and safety violations, but like you said, I mean, you, the onus is kind of on you to prove that and to create a paper trail to have some evidence to show ODJFS that look, my employer is not abiding by the state regulations. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, the final reason in governor DeWine's executive order for staying home Um, is if you're caring for someone with COVID. You can not come back to work, still collect unemployment, if you're staying home to take care of somebody.
0: All right. Well, good. That's a pretty good executive order, I think, from Governor DeWine.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic.
0: So let's talk about the process. We talked about the application, and then you Mm -hmm. talked about a hearing in front of a referee. Yes. So how does this all kind of go go time-wise, you know? So can you just explain the entire process, I guess?
1: Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, um, the employer gets notified and is asked whether the person is eligible. And if the employer says yes, the application is normally approved. Um, Not that it's automatic, but you're probably not gonna have any issues if the employer isn't contesting the fact that you're eligible for benefits. Um, The Bureau still makes the ultimate decision. But um, if you are granted benefits, your employer is allowed to ask the bureau to reconsider the decision. And likewise, if you are denied benefits, you can ask for reconsideration.
0: So either side can dispute the first decision. Y-
1: yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as a practical matter, most requests for reconsideration are denied Um, But either the employer or the employee can appeal that decision and actually have a hearing on the issue. And that's what I keep talking about when I'm saying we had a hearing in front of the hearing officer. Um, So
0: that hearing comes after the initial decision, after the request for reconsideration. mm -hmm. Yes. And then finally, you may get a hearing.
1: Yes. So there's quite a bit of red tape there.
0: And you talked about the importance of filing a claim quickly I suppose there's time limits to file these requests for reconsiderations and the request for an appeal.
1: Yeah. So um, you have 21 days after the decision has been made to submit a written request um, to appeal.
0: So what happens during this uh, appeal process? Uh, Do your payments stop? Does the Bureau continue to pay you? If you're, let's say your uh, application's been accepted, mm-hmm. and they start sending you a check for four hundred dollars a week, and then your employer appeals,
1: mm.
0: what what happens to the payments?
1: So, if you win at that initial level and your employer asks for reconsideration, the benefits continue. So, just because okay. the employer has, you know, decided that they want to contest your unemployment doesn't mean that your benefits will stop, um, but if you ultimately lose, the state may ask you to repay your benefits. Um, so obviously, you have to do everything possible to make sure that you maintain your eligibility for benefits.
0: And when do you become involved in this? Pro- do you take an active role like this in applying for benefits? Or is it more at this uh, hearing stage with a hearing officer.
1: Yeah, it's at the hearing stage that I become involved. Most people, I mean like I said, with the application, it's kind of self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. Um where people run into trouble is when either they were denied outright or mm-hmm. they won and now their employer is appealing and so they need help during this appeals process because obviously it is so gray and it's sort of a vague kind of um, nebulous thing that you have to argue like we were talking about with Mm -hmm. the just cause. You have to really know, you know, what you're talking about and and how to do this. So a lot of people have to enlist some help.
0: Yeah. So what happens at the unemployment appeal? Like when you you've talked about hearing officers, is that like a a court case? Are we in a a, a courthouse? (laughs) How does it work?
1: No, you are not in a courthouse. You we do it over the phone most of the time. It's a telephonic hearing. Um, And right now with COVID, how we're doing it is I'm in my office. um, Our client is at home and the hearing officer is, I think they're at home as well. Actually, they're working from home. Yeah. Most
0: of them I think are in Columbus.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So everybody is kind of in their respective locations. The
0: employer's on the phone.
1: They can be, yeah, mm-hmm. If especially if they're the ones who are appealing it. They'll be on the phone as well, and any mm-hmm. witnesses that they might have. Um, so everyone's kind of at their separate locations, and we're all merged into one conference call. Okay. Um, and the hearing officer, kind of how it works is they'll swear you in. Um, and if you have an attorney with you, they might let the attorney do an opening statement. Um, If not, normally what they do is they'll ask you factual questions. And I like to tell people they're not going to ask you any trick questions during these hearings. They literally just want to know what happened. Um, Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Okay. So um, they will ask you questions and then they will ask the other side questions if the other side appears. And then you have an opportunity, you and your employer and the witnesses, to ask each other questions. Um, and at the end, you can submit a closing statement that just kind of sums up mm-hmm. your position and your arguments. And it's usually a pretty quick and painless process. I mean, yeah, how long
0: do these hearings normally last?
1: You know, I've had ones that have lasted 10 minutes and I've had ones that have lasted two hours. I would say the average, though, is about a half hour.
0: Okay. And then a decision's made, and can you appeal that?
1: You can. You can submit a written appeal for that as well. Um, I you know, I don't really like those chances because you're kind of asking the bureau to overturn itself after it's already made the same decision a few times in a row. So it's definitely an uphill battle to appeal from there, but you can. It's so an option. Your best
0: chance is if, if you've lost, mm-hmm. at least get to this hearing stage where you have an opportunity to talk to a live hearing officer and yes. kind of explain your side of the story and hopefully you win.
1: Yes. Yeah. And that's... it sounds
0: like you're winning them, <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I've been very, you know, happy to see that the person on, you know, the other end of the line, they're a hearing officer, but they're also reasonable and they're human and they understand, you know, situations aren't always so clear cut. So, yeah, I think that it's definitely worth it to at least try to appeal, even if you think that your chances are slim.
0: Well, Kara, that's great work you're doing for these folks that need Thank their you. unemployment compensation. Thank you. That's a lot to cover today. I'm sure we could have spent a lot more time. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: But we have to close this show so that people don't lose their jobs while they're <laughs> listening to it. You know, they might go past their lunch hour. That's right. Yeah. This is 45 minutes. You better gobble down your sandwich, (laughs) listen to the podcast for 45 minutes, and get back to work. Right. Right? Yeah. So it's been very interesting. I know, very informative for our listeners. Thanks for taking the time today to join us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this episode of Freaking Out About Work with Randy Freaking. The podcast about everything related to your work, your rights and responsibilities in the workplace, whether you're a minimum wage worker, a blue or white collar employee, or an executive. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and we'll tune in next time when we explore more about working. I want to conclude this episode from Studs Terkel that I find valuable. Quote, work is about a search for daily meaning as well as daily bread for recognition as well as cash for astonishment rather than apathy in short for a sort of life rather than a monday through friday sort of dying unquote let's hope that we can all find daily meaning as well as daily bread and recognition as well as monetary benefits see you next time on freaking out about work And please spread the word if you have enjoyed this podcast. Tell your friends how easy it is to go to FreakingOutAbout.com. And Freaking Out About is all one word. Thank you, everyone.